0: We are looking at spiritual gifts. Our approach has been to identify the spiritual gifts and their functions, and then to identify the functions of the church, and then we're going to consider their interactions. We're going to kind of look how the church is uh, designed. We've uh, started off looking at spiritual gifts, looking at the fact that uh, they're, they're, they're broken into a couple of categories. There are some that are called the infancy gifts, Uh, Some are called the temporary gifts. Uh, Some are called the service gifts. Normally we see them as temporary and permanent. And so we have gone through, sorted them out, did a complete study of what Scripture says about spiritual gifts. We found out there's ten temporary and ten permanent gifts. So, <clears throat> what we need to focus on are the permanent gifts, and we see that little chart right under your handout there, which has just gotten another column added on it from uh, last week, and hopefully a little bit of a little bit more clarity. And we see the spiritual gift of giving, motivation, physical support, strategy is to give. That's the action that is carried out. The effect is financial provision for the local church and for the universal church. So each gift has a desired impact uh, or goal or objective as we look at it. Service. The gift of service uh, is one that has a motivation really to complete task. We have to try and distinguish uh, some of these gifts that are service gifts or teaching gifts. They're all very close, they seem very close, but the gift of service is one that has the desire to get things uh, done and finished. Uh, <clears throat> we know it's real easy to start a project and leave it. Some of us know better than others that it's easy to start a project and leave it, like don't mess my desk because it's got several un- incomplete projects on it, but uh, This is the type of person that has a tenacity to go ahead and get a job completed, get it finished. And the effect is order, because uh, where there's an incompleted task, there's disorder until those things are completed. Now, some things have to have to have a sequence of events in order to complete a project. And sometimes different people are skilled in certain areas, but not in other areas, so they can take it to one level, and then someone else will take it and complete the the task. So the gift of service is one that sees it through, and uh, it's a supernatural ability to do that. Again, all these things we're supposed to do as human beings, all these permanent gifts, but the gift is the supernatural ability to excel in a given area. So this, this person can see something needs to be done, needs to be completed, and uh, they have the tenacity to stick with it to, to get it done. The gift of helps. Uh, motivation. Help other people. Assist other people. Whatever area that may need help. It's kind of the uh, jack-of-all-trades kind of the um, uh, utility player on a baseball team. The utility player plays a lot of different positions and is able to go in and uh, fill in wherever the, the need be. But uh, the strategy is look for opportunities. Look for people that might need help. Look for ways to assist. Look for ways to plug in. Um, that's, that's the gift of help. the so effect is to ease the burdens of other people within the body of Christ. And that's uh, uh, valuable uh, part of the gift of help. So giving, see, is a physical financial provision. Service is uh, that which uh, bring, helps bring about order. Of course, wherever you have an organization, there's never going to be complete order, but at least when they're completed tasks along the way, those are encouragements. And as we see things done and completed, then then that helps bring about order. It helps. Uh, helps to ease the burdens. Leadership, uh, the gift of leadership, it's uh, like a ship's captain. So it's the kind of the picture of direction that is involved, the direction that uh, we're headed. And I think for a church, it's not charting out a vision and asking the Lord to bless it so much as it is seeing his vision for a particular group of people and then trying to get everybody on board to to head in that direction. Strategy is vision, trying to look ahead, see what the Lord is doing, praying about it, uh, seeing needs, seeing things that need to be planned for down the line, uh, provided for, and the effect is advancement, being able to advance. All these, when they're working together well, they they help the local body run more efficiently. And as they function, even in the universal church, they'll help the universal church run more efficiently. I think the Lord, though, looks down at his bride and sometimes wonder, will these people ever get it together? You know, it's almost time for the wedding and they're still putting their makeup on. So there's there's something that still needs to be done and, and uh, you know, trying to get, get everything together. I, I receive all kinds of wacky stuff. People... Uh, I guess go through the website I had the same email address for a long time I got added to uh, some of the different uh, church councils and things like this and the sh- the shallowness that appears to be there I I think there's got to be more depth to it than that but it seems to be a real shallowness within the body of Christ of of um, just helping oneself or advancing oneself, instead of advancing the body. Many times it's just a big social club. It seems to be what it seems to be, and and uh, that's not an advance. It's not a spiritual advance. It's not growth. It's not really discipleship. Um, when I have when I run into people that can't tell me what the gospel is, I sometimes wonder how much I should pay attention to them. Or listen, it's an opportunity to help teach and correct, but oftentimes you try to do that and they talk about how arrogant you are. So anyway, you, the advancement of the church, we should do that. But again, it's got to be what does the Lord have in store for us and trying to see his vision and then organize ourselves around it. Uh-huh. I see us as James the less. James the Less was an individual who loved the Lord, uh, had his flaws, uh, but worked in the background the shadows, so to speak. A person that had a tremendous impact in the world, but wasn't high on the list of well-known people like Peter and James and John and them. So I I see us as, as doing that because... Through this church, through the prayer support, through the mission outreach, um, you know, there's, there's, this church has touched a lot of people worldwide. So I see us as that more of a, a mission-minded church, a teaching church. Um, and I think the, the 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 deacons have seen the same thing. They've asked, how do we do this? How do we find people that uh, might be interested? How do we spread the word better and more effectively? So. Um, I just I kind of see us as the behind the scenes people, so I guess that's the Lord's pr- really made it pretty clear to us over the last twenty two years. That, you know, when uh, when I first came here, I laid out a giant plan for uh, Oklahoma City, and I thought we'd have half a dozen churches of three or four hundred people each, scattered out throughout different parts of Oklahoma City. And, that was not God's vision <laughs> for the church. But he had other things. Um, he had other things. And uh, it uh, it almost seems more and more that if you want to get big, and there are big churches that are good, solid churches, but to us, a big church is two or 300 people, of, of churches that are truly teaching the Bible. Uh, I have friends that are part of churches that... Uh, are more fellowship churches. Uh, One of them, I was told the other day, had 52 small groups in it, and their small groups are bigger than our church. And they they don't have but one of those that teaches the Bible beyond a Sunday school level within that massive church. People don't want to do it because doctrine divides, and they don't want to dare... Study and try to find out the truth, so they avoid it. It seems like in this culture now around the world it 's not that way I mean we 're dealing with people every day that that want more and more and more and more so it was it was something solo said that uh uh, Karnataka, where he just got back from, in the Bangalore area, south of where Thomas Samuel is, he said, those guys sat there from 7 in the morning till 9 at night and didn't want to quit. You know, they're just soaking everything they can possibly soak in and want to know how to get more. And uh, now... You know, the average church service runs 15 to 20 minutes because they found they can't keep people's attention that long. The preaching service. The music and everything else will run a long time. But, uh, you know, I probably over-answered your question. How to build a... Don't ask me what time it is unless you want to know how to build a watch. But um, anyway, that's kind of where I see us because that seems to be where the Lord has taken us. Uh, administration, uh, motivation, efficiency. Uh, strategy is organization. Effect is structure. Give some structure, organization, efficiency to the functioning of the local church. Uh, gift of mercy. Now we kind of move into a, an interesting realm. The others are kind of more the hands on, tangible thing uh, in a way. And mercy just seems to be. Uh, more on the emotional, psychological level. Uh, diagnosis of problems is what mercy is about. It primarily, it, it can pretty well tell when somebody is uh, in trouble, when they need help. There's something about them that may be, uh, sometimes we can read it in people we know real well, but the gift of mercy can read it in people they don't know. Uh, real well it 's just a supernatural thing, and one of the things I found people that have that they usually don 't have to go looking. <laughs> people find them, and it, it doesn 't matter where they are. I know people that gift they 'll be sitting eating a, uh, sitting in a restaurant eating something and, and uh, a conversation gets started with somebody at the next table, and they get their whole life story out of it and that that 's a diagnosis. Strategy is observation, paying attention, staying awake, uh, being in tune to that type of thing. Uh, the effect is awareness, because it it helps within the body of Christ for people to be aware of what is going on. And and uh, no matter what you uh, you know what extent you think you do know what's going on, then none of us really do, uh, even the pastor. Uh, being a pastor for 35 years, I think people have thought, I'm omniscient. You know, point one, there is a God. Point two, your pastor is not him. He is not omniscient. He does not know unless he gets told. So um, part of that is, is observation, not not Consciously climbing into a cave and trying to hide, but trying to observe and mercy is is pretty well good at just doing that on a um, observe on just being spiritually awake. Uh, Next gift is exhortation. Exhortation is there for emotional support. Now a lot of us at one time would have said, "Oh, let's poo-poo the emotional support. You know, let's give them doctrine." Uh, stuff it down their throat, wrap it around, and and tell them straighten up or ship out or whatever it is. But uh, emotional support is necessary. God made us uh, body, soul, spirit. Uh, You you have within the mind, you have emotions. It's part of the soul, in fact, uh, where it's located. And we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there are times that, that even the most upbeat people can get down, and and they just they wake up on the wrong side of the bed, or they don't wake up on time, and or whatever it is, things aren't going one's way, and um, they're just there for for uh, they they need some emotional support just to help get across this one little uh, ravine or crevice or whatever it is uh, through the day. Exhortation. Is one of those gifts. It means to call alongside. We just study the study the doctrine of encouraging one another, the what that means, and that's what exhortation means. Call somebody alongside. You're not out in front of them. That's leadership, okay. But even leaders should call people alongside with them. You're not following behind them, okay. But you're calling them alongside um, to help with emotional support. Uh, just However, that picture of Horton up there with his arm around a kid—that's pretty good picture of what what that means. What's the strategy? Network. Okay, just talking to people. There are some people with this, this gift that you just get encouraged by being in their presence, even when they're feeling bad. See, that's just. You know, even if they've got issues or problems or things, uh, just being encouraged uh, by being around them. They often have a kind word, a gentle word, the right word at the right time in the right circumstances. The effect is consistency. Somebody gets down, gift of mercy might spot them, may not have the right word, but points out the gift of encouragement, They're able to encourage them. Sometimes we don't want to be encouraged. Sometimes it's just our problem that we have. But still there is that gift that seems to be able to work in spite of us, in spite of ourselves. So gift of exhortation, gift of evangelism, that's designed to expand the kingdom. And again, we're all supposed to do that. We're all supposed to uh, evangelize, spread the good news. We're supposed to carry the gospel with us wherever we go. But the expansion of the kingdom and, and uh, those with the gift of evangelism just have a way of seizing opportunities and and giving people the gospel clearly. And I I know you've run into people like that. There's just... They don't even look for it or try about it. And, you know, you, you, we sat down, most people sat down and think about how am I going to get into the subject of talking about Jesus. And it's just a scary thing to overcome the fear and bring up the topic. For an evangelist it's not really a scary thing. I run into many of them. Bert Kamenson the coin guy. He scares me. <laughs> Just being around you walk into a Walmart. I wanna I'm a task oriented person when I go into Walmart. I've got a mission to accomplish as quickly as possible to get out of there. Not Bert. <laughs> Bert has gone through uh he went with uh Bob Thompson one time to Walmart. And they went through, Bob was driving the basket. Because <laughs> I think Bert had got thrown out of this Walmart before. So Bob's driving the basket, Bert's handing out coins, <laughs> see. So they put all this stuff in the basket. Before they leave, they go put it all back on the shelves and walk out the door. So that's Bert. That's, that's not really my, <laughs> you know. But he strikes up conversations, and it's just a natural part of of who he is, and even he will amaze him. That's part of how you know the gift's working. When you find yourself amazing yourself, okay, and you know it's not you. Strategy, exploration, exploration. Um, Paul Hauser's probably not going to be at the fair this year uh, doing the um, child evangelism tent. And we've had the privilege of kind of plugging in there as best we could over the last several years. He's probably not going to be there. So, that's a, but the fair, I mean, you got a whole lot of people gathered together. Mostly not in the name of the living God, but they're all gathered together, so you got an opportunity to maybe talk to some of them out there. Uh, evangelism. Uh, the effect has increased the body of Christ. You know, evangelists, uh, they seem to, in a lot of ways, almost be fearless. And uh, we look at Billy Graham and think of evangelism, and, and really I think some of the most effective ones are the one-on-one people that that don't have the large crowds or gather the large crowds. They They just evangelize. I know guys that go to the mall without the gospel coins. A lot of them found the gospel coins and thought, wow, this is really cool. You ought to hear Bert talk about conversations with mall managers in California trying to throw him out. And him him, uh, quoting chapter and verse of the California law (laughs) to them and giving them his attorney's phone number if they won't permit him to do that. So he knows the law. He stands firm. And he said, if I ever start to cause a problem, I'm gone. If anybody gets offended... I'm gone. I'll go to the next mall. And they said, that's usually what they end up doing. Well, okay. Let him go. It's followed, followed around by security guards. But, gift of teaching, motivation, explanation. Let's try and clarify some things. Make some things clear. Strategy, steady. Effect, efficacy. Okay? Building up. Pastor, Teacher motivation guardian or instructor guardian-instructor pastor is a shepherd one who guards teacher is the means instructor strategy is counsel counsel's frequently done from the pulpit it can be done one-on-one the effect is guard the, the ten is guarding the flock and the effect is growth that's what the gifts are given for so the spiritual gifts they have different ways that they can plug in, motivations behind them, and I think a lot of times the spiritual gifts are often unconscious. We don't even know that they're going on, and I think a lot of times other people will know our gift before we do. Uh, We don't need to spend so much time trying to figure out what it is that we don't fail to be led by the Spirit of God, because if He leads us, He's going to use our gift. He gave it to us. He expects us to use it. Now, yeah. so we've identified uh, somewhat the spiritual gifts, what their functions are. We keep these in mind and think about these from time to time, and then identify the functions of the church. Why does the why does the church exist? Uh, <clears throat> we'll let Scripture talk to us about it, and here are just a, f- a few things that tells us why the church exists. And it kind of gives us the big picture to start with. Matthew 5.16, if you want to try and follow along in, in some of these, well, you might go to Ephesians 3, because 5.16, and you know the verse, says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So the church exists, Israel existed, to glorify the Father. That's what we should should do that's what we are called to do now that means we do the good works to receive the glory or do the good works to give the glory away and that's where the sin nature gets into it because any good work we can do can be done in a carnal way and that's not the way we want to do it, it can be done carnally whenever we're doing good works and helping people and serving people just to be recognized and be noticed by men Some of the harshest words Jesus had are found in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7 for the Pharisees who did things to be noticed by people. He said they stand on the corner, they give long prayers on the street corner, they wear the fancy robes with the tassels so they'll be noticed by men. He said, I tell you, they have their reward in full. They got noticed by men, but they're not going to have eternal rewards as a result of that. It's a good thing done in a carnal way, which is to draw attention to self. So if we try, if we see ourselves wanting the attention, we need to stop, drop back, punt, and keep doing the right thing just now for the right reason. If we doing something and think we ought to get some credit for it and don't get credit for it, we ought to just... Stop and say, you know, this is supposed to have the glory going to the Father, not me. Okay, one of these days he's gonna, the Son is gonna give some glory to us, but that's gonna be the judgment seat. Okay, that's that's when he's going to to do that. So, our objective is the church to glorify the Father. Our objective, why do we exist to glorify His Son Jesus? So Ephesians three, if you're there with me, these these passages. I could blow through these points uh, quickly, refer to the passages, but the power is in, not my words, but the Bible. And let's read these things. These these passages, we can read through Ephesians in 20 minutes, okay? And not stop dying on what is here. So let's just stop for just a second. We'll go through, hopefully slowly enough that they'll they'll impact us a little more. Ephesians 3.14, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. Why? So that Christ may dwell, set up residence, be a living presence in your hearts, the very center of your being, through faith. Because you believe him, because you trust him. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, this these passages, every one of these verses in Ephesians is a is a compilation of several doctrines put together when he's writing this thing. He says being rooted and grounded in love, it tells us what our roots are supposed to be. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. That's actually sets up a three dimensional type of thing that that says that you'll know it all here. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, it's beyond just an intellectual study of a doctrine. So it goes into the our life itself. It goes into our experience. It goes into everything that makes up the inner man. What we know as the soul, the emotions, self-consciousness, vocabulary, and categories. Remember those old things we went through? I haven't gone through them in a long time. But the ability to make decisions. They all, <clears throat> he says, to know him and it surpasses Just this academic vocabulary category stuff. That you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now this filling, if we were to go on to Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit. It's only reference outside the Gospels and Acts. And it's a dative. And I think it says be filled up by the Spirit. To what? the fullness of God because both words uh, filled is in both passages. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works where? Within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Why are we here? We're here to glorify the Father. As we glorify the Father, we glorify the Son, and that's what the church is supposed to do. So when we see our Messiah attacked by people, there should be some righteous anger rise up. Why Why would there not be? To see Him come under fire. And how we respond, we have to have a love response. we got to remember to... We don't lose it on that. But I mean, when we see people say, oh, he was just a, he really wasn't born of a virgin. He was just, Mary was out fooling around somewhere and got pregnant. That's what the world says about her. And not those kind of terms either. And that they say, well, that's what happened to her. And and the next thing you know, no, he didn't really walk on water. He didn't really raise the dead. He didn't really do all. It's blasphemy. It's out and out blasphemy, and Christians are more and more accepting this. And he says, we glorify the Son. Why do people not comprehend that he is doing exceedingly abundantly for them more than they can ask or think? Because they're so wrapped up in themselves that they just, they don't think about it. All they see is about what the world tells them they have to have to be happy Instead of what God has said, I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. You already have it. Don't fall for devil's trap that because he offers you what you've what, what God has already given you. That's what he does. He's not he's not good at making stuff up, he's good at twisting it. Why why does the church exist? To recognize Christ's headship. Ephesians one twenty two, And he put all things in subjection under his feet. And he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. How many bodies of Christ are there? One. Only one. And yeah, for the most part, we're all mixed up pretty good. We are. But there's one body. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And to glorify God with one voice, Romans 15. Just turn back a few pages there to Romans 15. You take these these passages and put them together, and it's talking about being rooted and grounded in love and able to comprehend Um with all the saints Christ dwelling in your heart through faith you could, it's possible recognizing he is head of the body recognizing he is Lord of Lords it's not making him Lord of your life it's recognizing he is Lord and you're letting him have your life that's a living sacrifice To glorify God with one voice, Romans 15, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell upon me. The reproach God fell upon His Son. That's the capital M there. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. See, some people want hope that fast. They want like an injection of hope. Okay, that's just going to go in and they're going to feel good and they're going to have hope forevermore. Well, the hope is there forevermore. But as we, it takes a, st- a growth in our own life out of babyhood into spiritual adolescence and then to spiritual maturity before that, that hope is sustained over a period of time. So it's not bouncing up and down, but so there's more stability to it. He says, now may the God, here's the prayer, now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement. You need perseverance, where do you get it from? And encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God." Oh, how did he accept us? That's where the song Just As I Am came from. Okay, That's how he accepted us. How are we supposed to accept one another? The same way. Now, encouragement says, well, you know, there's some flaws. We, we all realize that. We need a little help getting over the flaws because being born again means we're just brand new babies. So there's there needs to be this help and there needs to be this growth. But accepting one another as Christ accepted us to the glory of God. So what is the... Uh, uh, why does the church exist? It exists to glorify the Father, glorify the Son. We've seen functioning by the Spirit Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. Isn't it amazing how little we see about structures and the physical structures? It's more about principle, isn't it? Much more about principle. So what's the church supposed to be? When we start looking at these things, I've been going back through my office and uh, looking for books to bring to George to put in the library. Really, no <laughs> I'm not going to do that to you for a month or two, but <laughs> anyway, I've going back through looking at different books and things that I've accumulated through the years and and so many times it's it's a church model. Well, this is the model that you need in the church to grow your church big and I've been to seminar after seminar over the last. Thirty-five years to do that, and they all say, "Well, you need to do small groups." Okay, that's what's going to grow your church. Then you say, then they say, "Well, you're going to have to do a, a certain style of music in order to grow your church." You're going to have. To, it's all about form. Now, what the Bible talks to us about is function. What we want to do is the function as well as we can possibly do it that's what a church should do. Now, if the church grows numerically, praise the Lord for it. If the church grows spiritually, that's what we're supposed to be about to begin with. So we look at the spiritual growth and pray that uh, if we need a gift of evangelism, it'll show up or it'll work, or it'll function. Whatever the church needs. If the, the gifts come together and work for the betterment of the church, and we don't work just... To, one of the flaws in the church growth movement is it's all about building a local church. And that's not scriptural. We are called in Scripture... And I'll show you the passages. We're going through it. We're called to build the church universally. Now, if we do that as a small band of merry men and women, we have been faithful and fulfilled our ministry. If the Lord gave us five talents, we bring Him five more. If He gave us two, we bring Him two back. We use what He gives us to do. So... What is a church supposed to be? Well, it's a place where God is in our midst, in Matthew eighteen twenty, Where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. Now, if there's two or three there together, he says, there I am in their midst. But he says, they're gathered together in my name. Okay, so we come together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is here. Uh, Some people have taken that to say, well, I don't need to be a part of an organized church, and there's been a reaction against organized Christianity, and that's why the numbers are dropping off dramatically. People say, well, just me and my family, we're going to get together and do our own church. And I just want to go, and how's that working for you? Because most people do not have the self-discipline to sit down uh, with their children, do a devotional. Uh, they they don't. So what happens? Things get in the way. Well, I think a local church, if it's going to be a local church, needs to have the gifts there. So it kind of looks like you need 10 people anyway. <laughs> Just be small, to get started. But Where two or three have gathered together, there I am in their midst. The church is to be a place where when we come together in His name, that the Lord will be. Uh, We obviously, obviously that means there shouldn't be any politics, backbiting, uh, judging, all those other things that tear things apart. Doesn't need to be that in a local church. It's a place where He is in our midst, where we are accepting one another as Christ accepted us to the glory of God. What's the church supposed to be? A place of rest. Uh, You've you've heard me say many times a church is not supposed to be a museum for saints but a hospital for sinners. That's what we're supposed to be. I stole it. I don't remember where I stole that statement but I liked it when I heard it and it stuck with me. Matthew 11. Come to me. The church is supposed to be the meeting place of the Lord in this dispensation. When people get together in a local church in his name and they and they celebrate, they learn, they're built up, they're edified. he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Okay, if we're going to, we can do it individually, but obviously a church should be like that as well, shouldn't it? A church should be a place where people aren't constantly on their guard about... Saying the right thing, doing the right thing, wearing the right clothes, wearing the wrong clothes, all those different things that, that Pharisees are good at. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then this is the mark this one down. This is the only place in Scripture Jesus tells us something about his personal nature. He says, I am gentle. Now, gentle means power under control, but he's not weak by a long shot. Here's the power that brought the universe into existence that we'll see at various times in the Gospels with children on his knee. I am gentle, humble in heart. Now, he made a true statement. For him to say anything other than that would have been a lie. See, he said, like he told the Pharisees, if I were to tell you I weren't the son of God, I would be a liar like you. I kind of lobbed one over the bow. And they tried to respond, but they couldn't. He says, and take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, the thing about yokes is it sounds like a lot of slavery, but if you're trying to plow a uh, uh, field... You know, it'd be helpful to have a little bit of help, and a yoke is a little bit of help, so you can lean into the thing instead of trying to drag the plow along behind you. You shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my load is light. Now, that's a statement that he makes. Now, a lot of these guys that he's talking to out there are going to die horrific deaths. And he still says... My yoke is easy. My load, my burden is light. And every one of them and his disciples that stayed with him to the end would have said just exactly that. Physically, it was difficult, but it was the best course my life could have taken. So the churches should be a place of rest. The church should be one body. Now, we have the local church again that we tend to view as separate bodies I think you could call us molecules but we are not the body there's only one body we're not going to read all of First Corinthians 12 you can, you can do that when you start reading down through there the tendency for great theologians is to start asking which gift is still here which gift is not here what did he say, what did he not say and miss the point There's one body, we're supposed to figure out how to get along. The head can't say to the foot, legitimately, I don't need you. And the hand can't say to the head, I don't need you. That wouldn't be real smart to cut your head off, would it? So what he's saying is there, we're supposed to be one body in Christ. We're supposed to be a good wife as the body of Christ. Including the men part of the body of Christ. We're supposed to be a good wife. Ephesians five twenty two. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. as to the Lord. <clears throat> For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. Now, it's not saying that there is an inequality in people because other passages, Paul said in Galatian, Galatians that... Uh, You know, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, in Christ. There's an equality in Christ. Okay, but there are different functions, different assignments, different roles. Just because someone is placed in authority over somebody else does not mean a superiority over that individual. He says, as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, and that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. We as the bride of Christ, as the body of Christ, should want to be prepared for our husband. We should respect him... Above all others, we should listen to what he has got to say. The Lord himself is what I'm talking about, not us flawed male species here. We listen to the Lord first. That's what all of us should do. But a good wife, a good wife is one that listens to the Lord first. What does a good husband do? Gave himself up for his wife, just like the Lord did. Should be a, quite a relationship there, shouldn't it? That should be what results. So what is the church to be? place where God's in our midst, a place of rest, one body, not a bunch of little ones trying to outdo the other one, and a good wife, a good wife to our husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we are betrothed. So we've run out of time again. The uh, clock went off. So we're going to... Uh, Stop it here. Living Sac, Romans 12. I hope you're tired of hearing that. (laughs) But I hope you can't forget it. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for all you have done, for your amazing grace, for now what you poured out upon us and the Beloved. Father, we pray that uh, indeed we will seek your face. We will seek to use the things that you have given to us that you might be glorified, that your son might be glorified, and Father, that uh, we would all come together as the bride you have called us to be. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.